0: Money FM eighty nine point three, best of breakfast. Morning shot. A very good morning to you and welcome to Morning Shot. I'm Lin Lee. Moscow and Beijing have lashed out at the G seven summit, which took place in Hiroshima, Japan, this weekend. The group of seven or G7 talks culminated with a dramatic in-person appeal from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who pressed the gathered leaders to remain united against Russian aggression. The G7 comprises the U.S., the U.K., Canada, France, Germany, Italy and Japan. The leaders also voiced their growing concerns over China and pledged to counter economic coercion, as reflected in the G7 statement on ensuring economic security, which uh, did not explicitly mention China. To analyze the issues in greater detail, we're joined by Ross Feingold, Director of Business Development at SafePro Group. How are you doing, Ross? Welcome to the show.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. Now, first off, what do you make of Moscow and Beijing's reaction to the G7's shared position on the Ukraine war, as well as China?
1: Not a surprise. Uh, this One of the talking points that we see frequently from uh, Russia and China recently mm-hmm. is uh, criticism of blocks and, and criticism of new cold wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to the extent that they're saying, oh, you G7 countries, you're forming a block that's against us. Uh, that, that's kind of become a standard talking point. And uh, you know, to be fair, that it actually kind of works in the sense that there are countries in, in, in certain parts of the world, the global South, that have not taken sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons being simply that they don't want to be grouped into a bloc uh, that comes off as being uh, pro-one side or anti-other. Uh, so no surprise that they're, they're angry. They don't like the joint, the various joint statements covering different topics. And just the very idea that there's a block that is uh, working on joint policies uh, to counter both Russia and China.
0: And China has also retorted, right, urging the G7 not to become an accomplice in American, quote-unquote, economic coercion. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just uh, this kind of warning to to parts of the world. Uh, you, know, you you don't have to do business only with America or only do business uh, with with Western Europe or only in the way that the West wants you to do. it. We have alternative ways of doing business. But on the other hand, uh, the Western countries are going to come up with a whole bunch of criticisms about doing business with China. Mm-hmm. They like to cite that uh, debt trap diplomacy as, as, as a significant one, projects that aren't delivered. Uh, and then China will counter with a longer list of reasons of things <laughs> that it warns countries uh, with regard to doing business with the West.
0: Let's talk a bit more about China. Are you surprised by the G7 leader's willingness to sign on a statement that's so specifically directed at Beijing, even though China was not explicitly mentioned?
1: No, not a surprise. Uh, even if China wasn't mentioned in this uh, statement on economic resiliency, China was mentioned, and frankly, frankly, China was criticized in the longer joint statement that covered a whole, a whole wider range of issues, and not just the United States, but the European countries to various degrees and at various. Speeds and, and on various issues uh, have been taking actions in this regard anyway, often under U.S. pressure, again, under the Trump administration. But but you know, not using Huawei equipment would be a, an example in mean, 5G networks, uh, the type of issue that falls into this space. And again, not all the countries were on board with the U.S. demands early on, but but the, they mostly followed uh, U.S. requests on this. It just took a, a lot of persuasion by the U.S. Uh, so the countries have been doing this. But as the example, in the last seven, eight-month show where we had the German leader and then the French leader uh, flying to China with large business delegations. They still want to do business with China.
0: As all that is happening, Chinese Special Envoy Li Hui began his own European tour built by Beijing as a means to promote peace talks. Based on what you've heard out of the G7 talks, has that in any way proven effective in solving differences at all? Well, it's a, it's a little early in this
1: chinese effort to involve itself in, in mediating between ukraine and russia it's moving slowly and, and you know, the proof of that is that it, it took uh, the war to be going on for a year and multiple requests from the united states or or western european countries for china to get involved before china issued its so-called peace plan which was more like like a set of ideas it wasn't or, or concepts it wasn't even really Specifics uh, about bringing about a ceasefire, for example. Mm. Uh, and it, it's also hard at this early stage for for their involvement in, in trying to mediate a, a ceasefire or an end to the war uh, to say that it offsets some of the anger, for lack of a better word, that the United States or the Western countries have towards China. I wouldn't be optimistic that whatever Li Huy does would, would cause Western countries to say, oh, well, China's not so bad, so we're, we're not mm. going to pursue uh, something on the economic front. Or we're not going to criticize China over its human rights record. Uh, and, and we see that with, with a lot of the Western countries, again, led by the United States, where they say, well, we have all these areas where we're competing or are unhappy with what China does. Oh, but we still have something we want to cooperate on. Uh, can we cooperate on climate change? Can we cooperate maybe even on Ukraine if, if China will get involved? Uh, and it really remains to be seen if China is going to say, OK, we'll take all the criticism that, that you throw at us, uh, but we'll still happily work with you on some other issues.
0: We were talking about uh, Russia's war in Ukraine earlier. So, Just how significant is Zelensky's warning? He, he made an appearance at the G7, of course, his warning of potential Russian escalation, especially against the nuclear backdrop of Hiroshima, which was destroyed by an American atomic bomb in 1945 during World War II.
1: So far, Zelensky uh, seems to be doing his public diplomacy uh, the right way, and, and that's been the case since the war started, I would certainly criticize him in, in the weeks leading up to the war, when United States and the UK started warning him, like, "Hey, this looks like it's coming." And Zelensky would publicly say, "Hey, you country, stop telling me this and stop saying it publicly because you're only scaring my population." Uh, but he's changed his ways ever since the war began, and he's, uh, whether by phone or by video conference, making speeches to foreign parliaments, and, uh, and more recently with his travels, when he he engages. It seems to work. All right. So when he warns about something, he says we're running out of ammunition or we need more armored vehicles or we need tanks or you need to uh, give us a chance to get F-16s, even though it might not happen as fast as he would like. And and it happens at a speed that the, the various Western countries involved prefer to operate. What he says and what he does, again, it, it you know, it doesn't end the war. It doesn't cause Russia to stop what it's doing. Uh, but it does seem to work in, insofar as maintaining the unity of Western support and maintaining the flow of aid, including lethal aid, for his military, which is so important to fighting back the Russian invasion.
0: Do you think he has somehow upstaged the G7 summit? Not
1: really. Uh, he was going to be there anyway, or Ukraine as an issue was going to be there anyway, even mm-hmm. without his physical presence uh, in Hiroshima. It's you know, the major issue, not not just because it's a hot war, but for so many other reasons. Mm-hmm. It produces refugees, uh, the, 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 the effect on food prices and what, what people call food security or food insecurity, uh, energy markets have been affected, you know, all the major issues. So, you know, him being there, I don't think it really changed the dynamic and uh, you know, if we look at these multiple statements across a number of different issues, not just economic resilience, but a number of other issues as well, it seems that the, the, those many diplomats and bureaucrats who came along with the G7 leaders had, had put some time into preparing these various Statements anyway, and uh, even though any particular issue might not get a, a lengthy amount of time uh, when the leaders are behind closed doors talking, they did cover. To be fair to them, I mean they did cover a <laughs> very large range of issues, and not only Ukraine and not only China.
0: Okay, on a wider perspective, some experts say that the three C's that have changed the world in the past few years are COVID conflict and economic coercion. In your opinion, how much of that holds true and how has that changed international world order? Must countries necessarily take sides?
1: Well, there certainly have been uh, some of the the key issues. Uh, There's another C, which is uh, climate change Mm. that that also gets a lot of attention, Um, and perhaps more so in in Europe. The European Union countries, for example, are very big into climate change policies. And then there's uh, areas closer to where we are, and I'm thinking of the Pacific Island countries, which has been a place of intense competition in in recent years between China, on the one hand, and the United States and Australia, and Australia extend Japan and France uh, on the other where the countries in that region are saying we need your help we need the help of uh, uh, the rest of the world the economic powers because we are affected by climate change uh, so uh, yeah those, those have been the key issues uh, the role of COVID is is changing I, I saw on social media a medical professional made the very valid point that uh, it, it we're not in the same situation as we were one two or three years ago but the number of people who might die might be great. Greater than, say, the common common cold every year, or or in or re, or a regular flu season. So it's still a, a serious issue. Uh, but but you know, as far as changing the international world order, I mean that's that's something that's in flux. I mean I would say you know, with the bias mm-hmm. that, that comes with being an American, some of those international organizations like the UN or the WHO uh, or the WTO, and the WHO is once having its annual meeting this week. Uh, but it'll, it'll prove again uh, while the, the, the international media attention is focused on it, how ineffectual uh, it could be. And I would say that about all these international organizations. So one thing's in flux is uh, Russia and China are criticizing these blocks, uh, but will things like the U.S. IPEF uh, make a difference or the initiative for the Pacific Island countries that the U.S. and Western countries announced uh, about a year and a half ago, is that going to make a difference in that part of the world? So so they're they're not necessarily alternative international organizations. Mm -hmm. But we do see some blocks forming up that uh, appear to have some some ideas on on things like multilateral aid, for example. uh, But how effectual they are remains to be seen.
0: All right. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Ross. Thank you for your time today. We've been speaking with Ross Feingold, Director of Business Development at SafePro Group. Thanks for your perspectives. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg